Right, well, morning everybody, good to see you all. It's obviously for the short people. All right, so uh, if uh, hopefully you've all got a Bible, because that's what we're doing here, right? We're at church, we should have a Bible with us. None of that digital stuff, good old analog. Doesn't need to be charged, you know, it doesn't need batteries, doesn't have a screen. Thank you. Uh, and we're going to go to um, Mark chapter 11. And we're going to look from verses 20 to 24. Famous passage of scripture. I think every now and then we need a good faith sermon, don't we? Just like, oh yeah, that's kind of what we've got to be doing as well. And it says, um, so Well, I'll wind it back to verse 12 actually. On the following day when they came from Bethany, uh, which means house of poverty interestingly, he was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. And he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. So I always thought, why why is he looking for figs then? Surely he knows it's not the season for figs. (laughs) And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now we jump down to verse 20. And this is obviously the next day. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered, withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look. The fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God, or what the Greek says is, have the faith of God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours." Now, I'll just start with this the bit about the fig tree. It's withered away to its roots. Now, there's a whole load of symbolism in there. Some people think about because of it's a fig tree and Israel is related to a fig tree. Therefore, there's a metaphor in there that Israel at the time wasn't bearing fruit when it should have been. And there's a whole message in there as well. Um, but obviously, Israel will ultimately be blessed. And I don't want to get into all of that, you know, and salvation to the Jews at the, at the fullness of the time of the Gentiles. I'm sure you know all that from Romans. Um, but what's interesting is that the, the fig tree was withered to its root. And as I was kind of thinking about this this morning and meditating on this, uh, I was thinking, you know, when we look at people, we, we look at the symptom, but we don't look to the root, do we? So I'll give you an example. I saw something the other day on Facebook that may have been seemingly a little bit inappropriate. And then, and then someone had a go at them for, for saying that. But I know that when that person does that, it means he, that that person is struggling with something. So there's no point in having a go at them because of the symptom. You need to actually look at what's the root cause that's causing the symptom in the first place. You know, how, how often sometimes people react in certain ways. And you're like, whoa, what's your problem? But actually, if you really understood what the root of what was going on there then A, you would have a bit more compassion and B, it would help you diffuse the situation a little bit better. So I would, I would always encourage everybody, try to not judge people at face value. That's not good. Uh, actually, you know, get to know the situation, understand what's actually motivating people to do things because people are weird. 
You, you, I've known people that were into, say, for example, extreme brethren movement when they were younger, but because that did so much damage to them, they knee-jerk react to it, and they end up going right over to this end of the spectrum where it's like hyper-grace and don't tell me anything about any rules or any regulations and stuff. And you have to think, well, why have they gone from there to there? And it's because, you know, it's, you have to look to the root to find out why this is the case. So when you're dealing with Christians, don't judge the surface Look to the root. Amen? Amen. And uh, if we all did that, we'd probably all put up with each other a bit better as well. So the fig tree that you cursed has withered, Rabbi. And Jesus answered them and he says, have faith in God. Hallelujah. In who? God. God. Hallelujah. Have faith in God. I like the King Jimmy. It says to have the faith of God, which is actually what it says in the Greek. It's not have faith in God, but the faith of God. And there's various theological problems if it's your faith in God, because, well, I, I haven't got time to go into that. But let's turn to uh, just keep your thumb, thumb there. We'll go to Ephesians uh, 2, I believe. A little bit of theology here for you for the morning. I know it's a bit early for that in the morning, but we'll, we'll try. And it's uh, Ephesians 2, verse 8. Famous verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Because Paul's argument is, if you can say, uh-uh, I'm a Christian because I believed, and therefore that's something that I can be proud of, and that's, that's a work on my behalf that there's some merit in that. Paul's like, no, 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 you can't say that. Because even the faith that you have to believe in God is a gift from God. So, so you can't say that this is my thing. You know, I believe God. You know, and I, I, I don't like those bumper stickers that say, faith can move mountains. No, God moves mountains. Faith moves God. Yeah? Uh, and it's because it's have faith in God. Have the faith of God. And sometimes we get things all kind of back to front. So, for, so it's for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's the same with healing. For by grace, the unmerited, the undeserved favour of God, you have been healed through faith. Or provision, for by the grace, unmerited favour of God, you have had providence and provision through faith. But that not of your own, but it is a gift of God. Okay, so can we all establish the fact that faith is not from you? It's a gift of God. Now, we all operate in natural faith. So if I get on a bus, I have natural faith that that bus driver, hopefully, is going to get me from Fareham to Gosport. But you never know when you go to Gosport, do you? So from Fareham to Gosport, I have faith that I'm going to, I'm going to get there. Um, so that's natural faith. When I get on a plane, I have natural faith that that pilot is not going to crash and burn. <laughs> We're going to get there, okay? So there's natural faith. But then there's supernatural faith, which is the ability to believe for that which technically is impossible. So when you get born again... That is the greatest miracle on planet Earth because it is an impossibility for man to save himself. You know, when, when the, uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples and the, the rich man uh, came and said, Lord, what, what, what commandments must I observe to, ob to obtain eternal life? And Jesus turns around to his disciples and said, you know, it, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to, to get saved. And they're like, oh, well, if a rich man can't get saved, well, then who can get saved? Because they assumed that if he's rich, the blessings of God upon him, he's a man full of grace and God's favor, therefore he's in, right? No, not at all. Hallelujah. So anyway, back to our, back to our verse. So faith is a, is a gift from God. But it says, have faith in 
God. Now, most Christians in the room will go, yes, amen, brother Chris, we've got to have faith. Oh yeah, I'm totally 100% with you there. How about I just go around the congregation right now and I take away your credit cards and your money. Don't worry, I won't spend it, all right? And I say, for the next two weeks, you've just got to trust God. Have faith in God, brothers and sisters. See how you get on. All right, sorry? What do you mean I do? I do take away your... No, I don't. No, I don't. You, you, you take away mine. So, all right. And so then we, that's, I think that's a really good barometer of actually, not, not to make us feel bad, but just like, yes, I have faith in God. And it's like, well, okay, let's have no money for two weeks and see how much faith we have that God will provide for us. Because, because he will provide for us. But we have to believe it. We have to trust that he will. We have to trust that he's a good God and he supplies all our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Because either he, either he is a God that fulfills his promises or he isn't, right? And either, either our faith is genuine or it's not. Because it says have faith in God or have faith in Barclays or have faith in Visa or have faith in, in Sainsbury's or something. No, it says have faith in God. And then Jesus gets into this really interesting theology here. He says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. Now, it's it. the word there is says, not hopes, not thinks. Not wishes, interestingly, not even prays. Oh, I pray that this mountain will be removed from me. This mountain of debt or this mountain of sickness or this mountain of depression that just keeps on getting in my way in my life. I just can't seem to get a breakthrough. The Bible says, don't pray about it. Don't wish it. Don't wish it away. Don't hope it away. Speak it away. Jesus said, speak to your mountains. That's the first thing. This is really, really important. It's known as the power of confession. So let's give you an example of what confession looks like. The best chapter in the Bible for this is Romans chapter 10. A little crash course on confession theology here. <coughs> oh yeah, uh, verses 8 down to 17. We won't read them all. We'll just pick out bits. So from verse eight, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So there is the doctrine of how people get saved. You believe it in your heart, but you must speak it out of your mouth as well. You must say, I believe that Jesus died and he rose again and he died to pay the price for my sins. Yeah, that's that's a confession of faith. And it says, if you if you believe in your heart that God did that and you confess it with your mouth, you shall be saved. In other words, or we could say healed. If you believe in your heart that God wants you well and you confess it with your mouth, and you believe what's coming out of your mouth is the truth, then you shall be healed. It's, it, it's, this, it's, it's, a, um, it's what I call a spiritual law. It just works across the whole board in respect to the scriptures. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see, how many people here have done this, you know, by his stripes I'm healed, by his stripes I'm healed, by his stripes I'm healed, by his stripes I'm healed. And it didn't work. 
That was a couple of laughs in the room, so you've done it too, right? Do you want to know why? Because it doesn't say confess with your mouth, then believe in your heart. It says believe in your heart, then confess with your mouth. And you say, but faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Ah, uh, yes, it does. But the Bible's very clear that it says, so this is from verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In other words, you need to hear some preaching. You need to hear some teaching. So if you want to have faith for healing, then go and listen to a lot of teaching and preaching on healing until, and some good testimonies about it until you get in your inner man or woman to the place where you're like, you know what, I believe this. And then when you believe it, then you start confessing it. Because if you start confessing it, but deep down you don't believe it, you're in trouble. And James talks about this. Uh, where are we? Let's turn to uh, the book of James. Good old James, eh? he's a cheerful chap, isn't he? Uh, James, where is it? I've got so many scriptures here, I'm trying to find it. Oh yeah, James 1, 8. James 1, verse 8. You see, because if, this is, this is the problem with, with Christianity, is that often we say we believe something, and we say that we believe it, but deep down in here and in here, there's, there's a disconnect. So you might say, well, I kind of believe it in my heart, but your head's going, uh-uh, there's no way I'm believing that. That's nuts. Or your head might be, I believe this in principle, and your heart's like, forget it, I'm out. I'm not, I just don't believe this. And then you, therefore, you are a double-minded man. So in verse, so if I go to verse 7, it says for, oh, let's wind it back a little bit. Let's go to verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person, listen, this is quite tough, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. So if, the, if we have double-mindedness, and I tell you what, you know, don't you? You know when you're being double-minded. Because you, you, can, you, you can say, yes, I believe Jesus is going to heal me. But something in, inside is going, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> Not today. Okay? When you're in that place, you're in a place of double-mindedness. And, I, and no disrespect, I don't care how many times you pray, that prayer is not going to get answered. So you've got to um, get to the place where your inner man is believing. And then from the place of believing, then you confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart, then confess with your mouth. Everyone with me so far? Okay, right. So I'm going to go back to my scripture and mark again. So he says, uh, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says, not hopes, not wishes, not praise to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that See, so again, it starts with the heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now, isn't that an amazing statement? It said, it will come to pass and it will be done for him. We've got other scriptures like this. I mean, that's quite, a, that's quite an audacious thing to say, really, isn't it? And of course, then... Well, that's just one scripture. I mean, does the Bible say that anywhere else? It's like, yeah, John 14, 13, for example. Um, it says, whatever you ask in my name, 
this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. So that's twice now, it says in the Bible, that if you ask for anything in the name or ask for anything in prayer and believing you receive it, you shall have it. It'll be done. But there's a disconnect here, isn't there, if we're all honest with ourselves? How many times have you prayed for a Volvo estate and you didn't get one? Okay. I did pray for one once. I did actually get one. It was a hunk of junk, mind you. And uh, I'm glad I yeah, had to go to the scrapyard in the end. Um, whatever you ask for in my name. But so, so what is this disconnect? Well, James tells us what this disconnect is. I'm sorry there's so many scriptures. But in James 4.3, you don't need to go there. James says, uh, you do not have what you want because you ask amiss. Because you want to spend what it is you're praying for on your own lusts. Yeah. Now, I know God gives us the desires of our heart, but we've got to do things right in, in prayer. So there's some things that you can ask in prayer that God is never in a million years going to answer that prayer. So say, for, I've seen this, right? You've got a little lady over here who likes that married man over there. Dear Lord Jesus, can I please have that married man as my husband? No, we're not answering those kind of prayers, okay? So just forget it. It's not, God is out of the building. That is not going to happen. Never going to happen. So, yeah, I prayed in Jesus' name and it never happened. Well, go figure. So we've got to be careful that what we're praying for is actually in accordance with God's will, in accordance with his scriptures. That is really important because there's another really important scripture, which is in Jeremiah 1.12, which says God watches over his word to perform it. Hallelujah. I love that scripture. God watches over his word to perform it. So when it comes to the issue of confessing with your mouth, you need to, first of all, get your heart to a place where it's believing. And then when it's in a place of believing, you need to arm your mouth with the word of God and the Holy Spirit watches over God's word to perform it. Just like in the beginning of creation, God spoke and the Holy Spirit brought it into being. Amen. This is how it works. And you go, well, I'm still not sure about this, Chris. OK, let's go to Ephesians 6. This is a famous passage of scripture. You're about the spiritual warfare. And we'll look at the sword of the spirit just for a minute. And you might not be aware of this, but in, in verses 16 to 17, it says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts, flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay. Is he referring to this? A few like, yeah, no, I'm not sure. This is a trick question, I know. I know it's a trick question. Okay, it is a trick question because in the Greek it doesn't say graphe, which means the written word. It says in the Greek, rhema, which is the announced, the spoken, the revealed word. In other words, it doesn't matter if it's a prophetic word or it's the literal word, it needs to be spoken and vocalized. That's the sword of the Spirit. Did you know that? So the sword of the Spirit is the spoken word of God. That's literally what the Greek says. It's a rhema word. It's not a logos word or a graphe word in the Greek, which means it's not a written word, but it is an announced and spoken word. I love that passage in one of the gospels where uh, Peter hasn't caught anything all night. And then Jesus says, hey, why don't you just try putting your nets on the other side of the boat? <laughs> it's like, what? Are you mad? Who are you? Uh, but he says, yeah, he said, okay, at your rhema, I will drop down my nets. And then he received a miracle, didn't he? And so 
You can see here how all these scriptures link together. It's important that we confess with our mouth, providing we believe in our hearts. And if we believe in our hearts, confess with our mouth, we're not double-minded. And when we load our mouth with the word of God, because Jeremiah 1.12 says that he watches over his word to perform it. And now we know that the sword of the spirit, the weapon of the sword of the spirit, and it is a weapon, I'm tired of Christians going, it's a defensive thing. It's a defensive thing. You might want to parry all day long, but I want to do some lunging. All right. You can parry, but I'm going to lunge and I'm going to stab some stuff. All right. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to be offensive with the word of God. Glory be to God. I want to, I want to get, get into the enemy's territory and do some damage. Hallelujah. So when you're using that, so it's why it's important. See, Jesus said, speak to the mountain. Don't pray to it. Don't wish it. Don't hope it will go away. Speak to it and load your mouth with the word of God and declare scriptures and declare the promises and the good things of God over your situation. So I don't know. So say you've got a mountain of debt or a really nasty bill that you've got to pay. You just say, well, you know, get yourself to the place in your inner man where you go, yes. I absolutely believe God will provide for me. And then you load your mouth and start confessing, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. So bills, you are paid in the name of Jesus. I know I sound like a prosperity gospel preacher. Please forgive me. It's just an example. Or maybe that you're having an issue with depression and you're like, you've got the right scripture about depression and stuff. And you again, in your heart of hearts, you're believing, yes, God can get me through this. You start declaring and confessing that word. I know a woman who is blind and still technically blind in one eye. She had thrombosis of the eye. She just was convinced that God would heal her. All right? So she just said to everyone, she wasn't lying. She said, I know I, know I can't see out of my eye. She said, but I am healed in Jesus' name. And she quotes some scriptures. Because the reality was in her heart. She wasn't confessing it and hoping. She was confessing it because she already knew that it was true. And then seven months later, I opened up. But the thrombosis scar is still there. That's impossible. You've got a thrombosis scar on the retina. You should not be able to see. The doctors wouldn't believe her. They're like, you've, you've memorized the, the, the test card on the wall. You know, there's no way that you've got a scar and you can see clearly. She still see, that was a long time ago, still sees completely clearly to this day. Yeah, believing in her heart. My good lady wife, she had uh, a bone disease that throughout her whole body that was uh, it's hypermobility. It's like arthritis, but in reverse. And she, she was getting worse and worse. The pain was, was it, would you say chronic? Yeah, the pain was chronic for her. And throughout that 20-year period, God was just saying, okay, you know, you just got to keep trusting. You just got to keep trusting. You got to keep believing. And she did, even to the point where she would walk by faith, even though it hurt. And then one day, unexpectedly, she went forward to just get some communion. As she touched the chalice, this liquid warmth went straight through her body and she got instantly healed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, yeah, glory be to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. God is good. And you see, but you don't need to be a superhero. You don't need to be a faith giant to do this. This is, this is a, anybody that can, as normal as you and me can do this kind of stuff. But the principle is there. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The most important thing you need to do, if you need a breakthrough in some area in your life, you need to get the faith for it, which comes from God. But you need to get that faith for what it's specifically things that it is and so therefore you need to plant the word inside of you by listening to some great teaching or preaching or whatever on that subject to the point where you're like yes I believe it I remember listening to this um this preacher once called was it William Shambach anyone heard of him Shambach what's his what's his first name 
Yeah, what's his first name? Is it, is it William? I don't remember. Anyway, someone's sham back. He was talking about faith, and he'd been used by God to raise the dead, heal the sick. And you, the crowd, he was trying to control the crowd. They, they were so excited. They just, they just couldn't contain themselves. And at one point in this sermon, he said, all right then, just get it over with. And everybody, I don't know how many thousands were there going, ah, thank you, Jesus. They were mad for it because they were so excited that as they were hearing these awesome stories that God could do wondrous things. I'm reminded of this story. I've probably told it a thousand times, but I'll tell it again. It's a great story. Where it was in India, there was this Indian guy and he was a Christian. He used to be a missionary, but he was dying on his bed. Okay, he was giving up the ghost. It's like, oh, my life is over. My life is spent. And then some Indian guy, who was a young Christian, said, hey, I've heard about your adventures that you did when you were younger. Can you tell me about it? Okay, I'll tell you about my adventures. And over a period of a couple of weeks, he kept coming. And this uh, old man just kept telling him his war stories until after two weeks, he was like, you know what? I'm not going to die. I've got some life left in me. Let's get some more war stories. Got out of bed. And him and that guy, they just did, like, for years, went around India and did some preaching and saw loads of healings and, and people get saved and stuff. Because sometimes we can just get ourselves into a place where we almost feel like, well, I'm just going to die now. I'm just going to give up or I'm just going to settle down. It's like, don't you dare settle down. No, 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 no. Don't you dare. Don't you dare get complacent for Jesus. Hallelujah. Stir yourself up in your most holy faith. Do whatever it takes. Get those tapes on, whatever it was. Just get yourself fighting fit for Jesus. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. You can get fit, fighting fit for Jesus, amen. Get that sword of the Spirit and start using it. Don't parry all day long. Do some lunging. Get some stuff going for Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. amen. And I'll end with this story. Um, many years ago, uh, sorry for shouting. Many years ago, uh, I, was, I was about 18, 19. And uh, I, was, I, was, I was at uh, a Bible college in sort of Southampton, or doing a year of training rather, and, and I had to do this um, essay on George Mueller. And a friend of mine said to me, because I don't know, we were a bit wacky in those days, he said, Chris, I believe on Tuesday, God's going to give you a real important word from the scriptures. And I'm like, Tuesday? Why not Wednesday? Okay, Tuesday, we'll just go with it. Anyway, Tuesday came and I completely forgot what he said. And I'm doing this um, essay about George Mueller. And then I come across this passage have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. And I was like, Lord, that really pretty girl in Fareham, Lord, I need her to be my wife. But I've got no prospects. I've got no money. I'm a loser in Southampton. So Lord, and, and when I, and I got a revelation, like a rhema revelation, I read that scripture and I knew in that moment that whatever I prayed, God would answer it. No questions asked. I just knew it. And it was that Tuesday. I got my revelation and I prayed and I didn't wish and I didn't think, but I declared to the mountain and glory be to God. God moved that big mountain and here she is now right in front of me. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Ha, 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 ha.